Once again, it's a uh, privilege to be able to open the Word of God with you tonight. Uh, again, I'm so thankful for the opportunities I have to preach, uh, and especially for the encouragement of the congregation. Uh, for Kenny and I this summer, we can both say you guys have been a pr- tremendous blessing with us in the prayers that you've given to us. As you, many of you know, I'm going through the book of Ruth. There are four chapters, and therefore I'm doing four sermons. I've done two already. The first time I preached was in the month of June, uh, and the second time I preached was actually last week while some of you were at Pinebrook. Uh, so we will do a little bit of a review, because it's just one long narrative throughout the book of Ruth, to catch you up from chapters 1 and 2, quick review, and then today we will spend all our time in Ruth chapter 3. So in chapter 1, it starts out with a famine. Uh, that is the crisis, uh, Limelech, that's uh, Naomi's husband, and their two sons head out of Bethlehem in Judah. They head out there, they go to the Moabite land. Now, the problem with this was that they were supposed to stay in the land. God had called them, they, He had given them the promised land, He had allowed them to conquer it, they were supposed to stay in that land. Uh, but they failed to do that, and as a consequence, uh, Limelech dies. Now, uh, so that leaves Naomi with her two sons, Malon and Chilion. And these sons, when they're in the Moabite land, choose to marry two women named Ruth and Orpha. Now, Ruth and Orpha were in no uh, sin, but the two sons, they chose to marry Ruth and Orpha, who were Moabites. And the Israelites were not supposed to intermarry. They were supposed to uh, stay within uh, their own nation. So therefore, as a result of their sin, once again the sons die. You get to the end of chapter 1, and sin has run its course on its family. The destructive nature of sin has wiped out all the family except for uh, Naomi. Now, she's left with her two daughters-in-law. Ruth pledges faithfulness to her. It's the middle part of chapter 1. And eventually, Naomi and Ruth return to the land of Judah and Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Uh, But when you get there, Ruth is bitter. She says, don't call me, or not Ruth, Naomi is bitter. Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Call me bitter. Chapter 2 comes around. Things start to look up for the girls, Ruth and Naomi. Uh, Ruth meets Boaz. Ruth happens to glean in the field of Boaz. She goes out from her land, and uh, she happens to be in the land of Boaz. Now, clearly, this was not a chance, but it was the working of the sovereign God. So Boaz meets her and takes kindly to her. Ruth is allowed to glean in the field. This offers a support to a widow, Naomi, and Ruth. They're both two widows living in the land. So Boaz offers protection and provision to her through his kindness. Boaz then shows extreme kindness to Ruth. Not only does he allow them to glean behind the reapers, uh, but he also allows uh, Ruth to eat with them and gives them extra grain. He commands his reapers not to harm them, not to take advantage of Ruth, but rather if she's thirsty, give her a drink and let her even come and work with them as she gleans in the fields. So Ruth returns to Naomi at the end of chapter 2 and realizes, or Naomi realizes, that Boaz is not just a random person, rather it's a relative, and he can be a redeemer of Ruth. He is one of their redeemers. At the end of chapter 2, Naomi begins to praise the Lord. There's bitterness at the end of chapter 1, but come to the end of chapter 2, Naomi begins to see see a hope uh, back in the Lord. See, look, the the whole book of Ruth From beginning to end, we've seen it in the first two chapters, we're going to see it again in chapter 3, and especially in chapter 4, is about the grace of God. God is working throughout this book to bring about His purposes and His blessings in the lives of Naomi and Ruth. 
The theme of grace is going to continue today in chapter 3 as God blesses the actions of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz to bring about great redemption in their lives. So if you're not there yet, I'd invite you to turn to to Ruth chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, you can find one under your pews. In Ruth chapter 3, we'll be doing it just like I did the other sections. It's a narrative. It's a lot to read all at one time, so we're going to split it up into three sections, uh, verses 1 through 5, then verses 6 through 13, and again chapter, verses 14 through the end of the chapter. So we'll deal with each of them individually, and then the chapter as a whole. So follow along with me as I read Ruth chapter 3, verses 1 uh, through 5. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter... Should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. This chapter begins with Naomi's desire to find a husband for Ruth. In Ruth 3, verse 1, it says, Then Naomi said to her mother-in-law, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? To find rest may sound confusing, may not make sense, but it's been used earlier in the book in the context of finding a husband for Ruth. You go back to Ruth chapter 1, Chapter 1, verse 9, it says, The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. That is when uh, Naomi was left with Ruth and Orpha, and she was trying, Naomi was trying to go back to the land of Bethlehem, trying to leave her daughters there to find husbands. So this idea of rest, finding rest, uh, is to find a husband for Ruth. Uh, so originally, Naomi had tried to provide for Ruth and Orpha by leaving them in Moab to find husbands. Now the purpose is the same. The purpose is a pure one in the sense that she desires to protect and provide for Ruth and Orpha to find them husbands, but she went about it in the wrong way the first time, but her purpose is still the same here in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 1, Naomi said to her mother-in-law, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Naomi desires the best for Ruth and wants the best for her. This is not a deceitful Desired is a positive one, one to provide for Ruth. Now you see, Ruth and Naomi, since the end of chapter 2, they had been waiting for some time in the same routine. You see, when they got to Bethlehem, back from the Moabite land, uh, it says at the end of chapter 1 that they returned at the beginning of the barley harvest. And then quickly, Ruth went out and met Boaz. That is what chapter 2 is about. But then, this barley harvest is not a quick one. It takes about two months. So they got there at the beginning of the barley harvest, and then that's when chapter 2 happens. Uh, so then by the time chapter 3 starts, uh, it, had, it had been roughly two months. Now Boaz is on the threshing floor, completing the final step of the harvest. There's three steps, and the final one is when you're on the threshing floor. So presumably they've been there for about two months. So this idea that Ruth and Naomi are waiting on Boaz is a good one, because Boaz has not made a move, and it has been two months. Boaz has shown tremendous kindness and attention to her when they met, but seemingly nothing has progressed in the next two months. So Naomi takes matters into her own hands. She devises a plan. She identifies a target. The target is Boaz. Uh, in Ruth 3.2 it says, is not Boaz a relative with whose young men 
you were. See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. And you say, why Boaz their relative? It's continuing off this idea, which I said we would explore at the end of chapter 2, where he is one of their redeemers. You don't have to turn there, I'll read it for you. It's two verses in Deuteronomy 25. It talks about this redeemer. Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 6, the Lord gives instructions for Israel. He says, If brothers dwell together, and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. There's a qualification for this law. The qualification is that you have to be an Israelite man who died without children and who left his widow behind. This fits the case for Ruth. Malon died, that's back in chapter 1, leaving Ruth with no children. Then there's an obligation. The brother of the dead man was obliged to marry the widow and give her children to carry out the name and the inheritance of the dead brother. You see, they only had two sons. One was Malon, he died, but Chilion also died as he married Orpha and also sinned. So there was no brother left that was obliged to redeem. Now only the brother was obliged to redeem and to marry the childless widow, and even he had a right that he could refuse. It would bring shame upon the family, but he could refuse. But the brother is the one who had the responsibility to do it. But it appears that there was a custom for close relatives to redeem even if there was no, or if there was no brother alive. So it's not a requirement of the law. They are not forced to do it, but it's a clear custom of the time, as we will see in the book of Ruth. So Naomi advises Ruth to take her chance with Boaz. This is a step of faith. Ruth 3, 3 to 5, Watch therefore and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak. Go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go over and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And Ruth replied, all that you say, I will do. Ruth is told to put on her best clothes, something special, something something nicer than her daily gleaning clothes out in the field. She's told to wait until he finishes eating and drinking, and then go in. But this man is probably not drunk, but he's certainly under the influence of alcohol in a pleasant and content mood. Okay, probably not thinking completely clearly. Ruth is then told to go unco- uncover Boaz's feet and lay there. It seems like an odd instruction. It seems like it's possibly flushed with immodesty. I'm not sure if Ruth or Naomi is trying to seduce Boaz through this, but one thing is... is is an observation you make here at the end, Ruth is not dissuaded by Naomi's instructions. Ruth 3.5 says, and she replied, all that you say I will do. Everything that Naomi instructs her to do, Ruth is okay with doing. Uh, Ruth trusted Naomi is going to follow all of her advice. You see, based upon Ruth's response to Naomi's instructions and the high moral character which has been proven by Ruth, I cannot say that Naomi's instructions were directly scandalous or a sexual intent. But I can say it's probably not the wisest decision to go alone with Boaz in the middle of the night. It's not a wise decision. Is there intent there? I don't know, but it's certainly not a wise decision. Boaz would have total control over Ruth. He was also under the influence of alcohol. Not a great plan. Far from a foolproof plan. Uh, 
But here we go. We're about to set out and do the plan. It's time to execute the plan. Naomi and Ruth are seeking for Boaz to redeem Ruth, and they are not going to wait by passively. So we're going to continue now. Verses 6 through 13. Ruth 6 Starting in verse, Ruth 3, starting in verse 6 says, So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone, on, gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight. And in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So Ruth executes the plan, which was set in the previous chapter. It's a huge step of faith for Ruth and Naomi. There is no certainty that Boaz will redeem Ruth, or even treat her kindly and respectfully. He is not obliged to do so, only a brother would be. So Ruth takes a huge step of faith, trusting that the Lord is guiding her and leading her and to follow the advice of Naomi. You see, Ruth trusts the Lord in a vulnerable situation. She is alone with a barn full of men who are celebrating with wine, going to lay at the feet of a man who is much more powerful than she. Uh, She is not in a position of strength, rather one of vulnerability. And then after some time at laying at his feet, Boaz wakes up and notices Ruth. 3.8 to 9a. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who are you? Boaz does not react as if this this action by Ruth is out of bounds, but simply asks who the woman is. And Ruth responds in a direct manner. She says, I am Ruth, your servant. Identifies herself right away. She's the foreigner, the famous foreigner who had been heard about all over the land. The one whose kind actions towards Naomi... Uh, had been heard by all of Jerusalem, uh, or Bethlehem. Then she moves directly to her purpose for being there. At the end of 3.9, she says, Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. This request is a, an image. This is a request not merely for protection, it was for marriage. Uh, the commentator's commentary uh, says this, Most modern translations take this to mean the corner of the garment of blanket which covered Boaz. If that is so, then Ruth's request is for more than protection. It is an appeal to marry her so that they will share the same covering. It it was and still is common for a husband and wife to share the same cover in marriage. It's a form of commitment and protection and unity. Uh, And so Ruth is quite clear that she wants Boaz to redeem her. Boaz responds positively. says, you have made this last great kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. Boaz praises the character and obedience of Ruth. The first kindness that he's talking about, I believe, is found in chapter 2. In chapter 2, verse 11, it says this, But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. 
the Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth showed tremendous faithfulness and kindness towards Naomi. That's chapter 1 and 2. She, she sticks with her in the foreign land. She, she accompanies her back. She's now providing and protecting for an older and a weaker Naomi. And it's a famous story. Boaz knows about it. Ruth now shares a greater, shows a greater faithfulness and kindness towards Boaz by asking for him to redeem her. Boaz is praising Ruth for this action that she took, for this plant they had, and this, this asking, instead of going after younger men. So for Ruth, if you're thinking logically, and I'm a logical thinker, right? At least I think I am. I don't know if that's true. But for Ruth, it would make logical sense to start life with a young man. Boaz was maybe in his 50s. Ruth is presumably in maybe her 20s. Uh, but if, if you're looking for a husband, and you're a young woman, you want someone younger. You want someone younger to work, to provide, to protect. Someone who's more attractive and youthful. Someone who's closer in age to go through life together. Someone who will not die long before you. It makes logical sense for a young girl to go after a young man. But her goal was not based upon logic. Rather, it was based on obedience to the God of Israel. See, she knew she should go to the Redeemer first, not just any young man. What can we learn from this? Our standard for how we live should not be based first on the practicality of the situation, the logic of the situation, but on the Word of God. The commands of God need to take precedence over what is expected in our world or what is desired in one's heart. Boaz saw this as wisdom and maturity in Ruth, and he praised her for it. Ruth 3, verse 11 and 12, he says, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman, and now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Boaz shows incredible kindness to Ruth. He puts her fears to rest. He cannot redeem her yet, but he will check with the Redeemer closer than himself. You think of Ruth showing submission to the Word of God by seeking for the Redeemer. Boaz shows the same submission to the Word of God that Ruth had previously displayed. If you think about it, he could have just redeemed her or married her then. Uh, but he chose to follow the law of the Lord, giving the first opportunity to the closer relative or Redeemer. Boaz had already taken kindly to Ruth in the previous chapter. He had interest in her, possibly leading towards marriage. This closer redeemer may have been the reason Boaz had not yet attempted to redeem Ruth. Once again, you see that the Word of God must take precedent over one's feelings or worldly logic or rationale. Ruth 3, verse 13 says this, Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. Okay, Boaz makes it clear to Ruth that he is going to follow the law of the Lord in this, in this process. He's not going to do it under the table. He's not going to redeem her quickly there. He's not going to take advantage of her there, but he's going to follow the procedure going to the closer redeemer first. The end of verse, three, or verse 13 says, But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So Boaz assures Ruth that if the closer redeemer doesn't want to redeem you, I will redeem you, he says. Ruth can be at peace, understanding that she will be redeemed the next day, either by the closer relative or by Boaz. Uh, God has shown great grace here and granted 
Ruth's request. Again, these men were under no obligation to redeem her, but God showed grace and worked in their hearts that they would want to redeem her. You see, the grace of God is seen in, in this chapter, in this middle section, especially by what has not happened. Okay? God protects his people. Boaz chose to tr- treat Ruth respectfully and with high, moral, high morals. Boaz could have easily taken advantage of Ruth and abused her in any way. He was under the influence of alcohol, too. God chose to show grace to keep him in a right mind to hold to his morals. God shows grace by using Boaz to protect Ruth, ultimately setting up Ruth for redemption. Okay? He also shows grace by having Boaz follow the law of the closest redeemer. You see, sin by its destructive, is destructive by nature, may have run its course on them if they failed to follow uh, the course of action. You look at Elimelech, just two chapters earlier. You look at Malon and Chilion. When they fail to follow the law of the Lord, uh, sin would come. But here, God shows his grace in allowing Boaz to follow the law of the Lord to let the closer Redeemer go first. You see more about the character of Boaz. He is an upright man, a moral man, an honest man, a man of high integrity who would make a faithful husband. So let us continue. Starting in verse 14, it says, So she lay at his feet until morning, but arose uh, before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she did. And he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So after settling the issue with Ruth, Boaz now provides protection for Ruth in two ways. First, he lets Ruth remain at his feet for the night, protecting her from foreigners. If you think Back at the end of chapter 2, verse 22, it says, It is good, my daughter, that you do not go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. Sending a woman back alone at night uh, sets her up in a very vulnerable position. He protects her by letting her stay there till the morning. But he also sends Ruth out early in the morning, protecting her from false accusations. Uh, At the end of verse 14, it says, And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. This further, I think, strengthens my view on the plan Naomi had. Uh, It was was one that was filled with uncertainty and risked immorality. I'm not able to say uh, that risking immorality was Naomi's goal, but it was certainly not an upright plan. But God once again shows his grace to Ruth and Boaz by sending Ruth home privately early in the morning. Protected Ruth from both actual innocence with Boaz, and also her reputation of innocence, as both can be destructive. But before Ruth leaves, Boaz blesses her with food for the trip home. In verse 15 it says, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. So the measure of what these six measures of barley are is not given. We don't know how much a measure it is, but whatever the measure is, uh, she was given six of them. Seems like a significant amount, probably. Ruth finally returned home to Naomi that evening. 
And verse 16, it goes, And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? And he gave these six measures of barley to Ruth as a gift for Naomi. In 17 it says, Boaz says, You, shall, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. You see, this is an assurance for Ruth and Naomi that Boaz would fulfill his promise and find a redeemer for Ruth. Uh, ultimately, Naomi realizes that they are in a time of waiting and tension as Ruth's face, fate would be decided that very day. Either she would be married and redeemed by the nearest redeemer or by Boaz. And you see this in verse 18. Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. So you look at this chapter. What can you learn from this chapter in chapter 3? It doesn't take us very far. There's very little conclusion in this chapter. It feels like like a gateway between chapter 2 and chapter 4. What can you get? There's not a ton of substance here. It's simply a short narrative over the course of not even an evening, just, just throughout the night, not a full day. But I think once again what you can see in this whole chapter is the grace of God is still very evident. You see it all the way through the chapter. It's just not blatantly obvious. You see it in the character of Boaz, though, as he treats Ruth kindly and uprightly. Ruth was in a position of vulnerability, and Boaz did not take advantage. Rather, he honored her, protected her, and sent her away privately to avoid even the look of immorality. Once again, Boaz proves that he's an upright man and a role model for how to treat women with kindness and respect. He chose to redeem Ruth. Again, only the brother is obliged to do that, but the grace of God is seen in the, in the character of Boaz as Boaz chooses to redeem Ruth, or at least send her to the closer redeemer. He's willing to do it. The grace of God is also evident in the life of Naomi, who failed to plan wisely. At best, Naomi's plan is one of good morals and good intent, but she just failed to think it through. It's an unwise position for Ruth to put herself in. At worst, Naomi's plan is one of scheming for Ruth to seduce Boaz in order to be redeemed. And it would be an extremely unwise and sinful plan for Ruth. But in the midst of a, of a plan that's, that's filled with uh, uncertainty, God shows his grace in this dangerous situation for both Ruth and for Naomi. He protects Ruth. He protects her from being abused or taken advantage of. He protects Ruth from defiling herself while unmarried bringing shame upon her reputation, which was so high. Now this part confuses me, though. God shows tremendous kindness towards Ruth, even having Boaz bless her. The woman who failed to show, to, 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 to have a good plan, the one who's been bitter, the one who's been questioning the Lord's plan and His sovereignty, but He protects Ruth from Naomi's unwise plan. And when Ruth returns, in verse 17, Ruth says, these six measures of barley Boaz gave to me, for Boaz said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. The Lord uses Boaz to actually bless Naomi in spite of her plan. I think you see something about the grace of God here. You see, the grace of God is not limited, it is not restrained by unwise choices. Now what I am not suggesting is that you go on sinning. I think that's clear from the rest of Scripture. You see 
thoroughly in this book that the destructive nature of sin. You see Elimelech die. You see Milan and Chilean die for their sin. I am not suggesting in any way that you continue on sinning intentionally. But what I am saying is that the grace of God is not restrained by unwise choices. He can still work in the midst of them. You see, God shows tremendous grace to Ruth and Naomi throughout the unwise plan. God used a situation that could have been absolutely disastrous to bring about Ruth's redemption. The choice for Ruth and Boaz to abstain from sin is commendable, but ultimately is an act of the grace of God. It was not a wise position for them to be in, but God showed them grace. He protected them. But the hope for the believer is this, that God will often show grace in the midst of our sinful choices. I can think of my own life of times when I started to do something and my intent was with sinful motives. Okay, I, I went into something intending to do wrong, uh, intending not to honor the Lord with my actions, and that very situation God can use to bring about good things. He can restrain Christians from the sin they want to commit. Okay? The very sins they want to commit, he can use those same situations for righteousness and redemption. This is incredible grace. God uses our own bad choices, our own bad motives to bring glory to himself. You see that in the life of Naomi. The grace of God is evident in the life of Ruth. The whole chapter, God is working behind the scenes to bring about his Redeemer. Okay? His Redeemer, one in the form of Boaz. That's the first part the Lord is working behind the scenes. We're getting there. Next chapter, Boaz is going to redeem Ruth. We're not there yet, though. And ultimately, you wait to the end of the chapter, uh, and it's not just the Redeemer, Boaz, but ultimately, it's the Redeemer in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's setting up Ruth's redemption as Ruth trusts in the Lord. God is doing that all behind the scenes. So this chapter ends in suspense. The whole chapter doesn't give us a great amount of resolve. You, you don't even know who, who she's going to be redeemed by. Uh, but it leaves us waiting. It leaves us hoping. It leaves us longing for the rest of the story. You see the grace of God throughout this, but there's more to come. The finale is coming. Chapter 4. Redemption is going to be purchased. Christ is going to rule at the end. Okay, the Chapter 4 is so filled with practical applications and the hope of redemption that every one of us has in Christ. And I urge you to come back in two weeks to hear the final chapter. There's so much in that chapter that correlates to our own redemption. And it's a foretaste of our Savior. He uses this whole story to bring about our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will see that in chapter 4. It brings the whole book to a conclusion. The grace of God from step 1, verse 1, to the end of chapter 4. He's bringing about His purposes. He's showing His grace in the life of Ruth and Naomi. Uh, let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, how it is trustworthy and true, how we can, how we can learn from any portion of scripture. Lord, we thank you for the story of Ruth. We thank you for this, this great story of redemption, uh, both for Ruth, but ultimately uh, for the world, Lord, as you use it to bring about a Savior. Lord, we pray that in our own lives we would see your hand at work, and when we don't see your hand at work, Lord, that we would trust that you are at work for we know you are, even in times when we don't see it, when it is not obvious. Uh, Lord, we also pray that we would see your grace in our lives, even when we uh, make unwise choices. You often use those for good. Uh, you see a grace in our lives from preventing us from sinning. 
when our hearts desire it, Lord, and we see uh, your grace in your lives in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for this book and the truths we learn from it. I ask these things in your Son's name. Amen. Thank you.